Amen. It's fun having all the, uh, the musicians up here this morning. We don't uh, we don't get to throw that in there too often, but it's good to see uh, all the talent coming together. I think we've been waiting a, a good long while for a percussionist to be here. We've had Jason since you know 20, almost twenty years now. These guys have been around, right? The Kristen could play the piano, you know, and she's great. Ralph is an amazing pianist, and it's great to have him as well. Uh, and so, kind of seeing. All of it coming together. It's just awesome. Uh, you know, I wanted to take a minute just to very briefly, uh, I know Carl mentioned it, but our special missions. I just want to describe what it is a little bit for those of us, um, most of us know. But what our special missions is, is it's an effort to, it's kind of a call to ask for a free will offering, a sacrifice, um, and for the sake of missions. And our churches, all around the world really, they take up, a missions offering every year, and what it tends to be is it's a ten times offering, right? And so, if you give, you know, twenty dollars for, you know, regularly on a Sunday, it would go, hey, if you can make the sacrifice and strive to give, maybe we'll give two hundred dollars. And and in most places, we send that money out to go and get the gospel into new places to support and to provide uh, and and to send people out into the world to preach the word to help people know Jesus. Now, for us at this time, we still are a missions church. We still receive some support, outside support to be able to be here. And so for us, we get to keep a portion of that. Now, my hope and my goal is that, hey, if we hit our goal this year, right, or if we surpass it, then that would mean that we could actually give some to missions, right? And I get excited about the idea of really being able to give. I'm even lobbying to go, hey, Let's just say we're going to give all of our special missions and whatever we need, uh, you know, maybe we'll find some support for it. Because it inspires me more to go, I want to give to elsewhere, right? But at this time, I'd still ask, you know, we've taken up our first collection in May, and so we do it as two separate times to make it a little bit easier on everybody, because ten times is, that's a sacrifice. But uh, what we'll do is we'll take up our second offering on November 5th, and for everybody who's you know, already participated in the first half, then this is just the second half, or maybe if you were just waiting, then the goal is to have a ten times goal. Right now, our, um, our goal for this year is $20,000. And we're about $8,000 from our first offering, so you can do the math and just kind of figuring it out for yourself. And it doesn't, what matters is that we give our hearts and we give sacrificially, but I just wanted to give us a vision for that. And it follows well, I didn't plan it, but the praise is heard around the world idea is we're really supporting that concept to bring the praises around the world to help people know God. Amen? Amen. So, a quick aside to that. But uh, it's great to be together. Uh, I'm so encouraged to see so many of us. I know it's been three weeks since we've been together like this. And uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn over to John 17 today. It's where we're going to be starting. And this morning I want to talk about, I want to talk about unity. I want to talk about the, the, the aspect of Jesus' character to be unified with the Father. His conviction about it and, and as it, it as being a defining element of who he is and was, right? But before I start that, I wanted to, there's a quick story. Really, it's, it's, going back a little bit in our own uh, American history. But in the late 1800s, anybody know a guy named Francis Bellamy? 
Anybody ever heard of him? I can almost guarantee you, though you've never heard of his name, that you know what he made. Right? Because Francis had this idea that he wanted to inspire the youth of America. He wanted to unite the country. And he said, he's like, he saw this need that the the country wasn't necessarily as divided. I mean, we're post-Civil War, right? Uh, it's, It's more... United a bit. I think the, the, the fight there had done a lot to the country. I mean, as we could all understand. But he's going, we need to do something more to unite us. And so what he did is he had the idea that we need to get to the youth first. Because it's through the youth we're going to get the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And we're going to instill in the people a sense of unity. And so what he wrote up was... This thing called the Pledge. The Pledge of Allegiance. Right? And he wrote up the Pledge of Allegiance, which initially, you know, essentially became what we all... I mean, who in here has not ever said the Pledge of Allegiance? I mean, I would assume no one at this point. We've all done it, you know? And we all know it, but the language of it, as it goes through and it talks about it, the idea was to unite the nation. You know, and so it's... The, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. And, and under God was added in actually the 1950s, but it was indivisible with liberty and justice for all. But it became, a, it, the idea was to create a mantra that everybody was bought into. And when you think about it, you know, now it's, it's rote. How many of us have said, I mean, we've said it, We've said it so many times that now we don't even think about it. You know what I'm saying? But when it first came out, the the idea of going, no, we we are indivisible. We stand for liberty and justice for all. Can you think about, like, if this is a new thing and you're being called to say this and, and do that. And so Bellamy went around and he started lobbying school boards and got his way all the way up to the president until it was adopted by the entire nation. And it did instill in the nation this intense sense of unity. Of You know who we are? We're, we are Americans. right? We're people of the United States. What was fortuitous is that it would be early in the in the 1900s that we had World War One, And the, the nation didn't have to try to get united. They were already united. And worked together to do some incredible, to fight uh, an incredible victory, or fight for a, a cause and win a challenging victory. But I think about this idea of what happened when a nation of people got so unified. And I don't know if you, do you guys know what they called Americans in World War One. I call those doughboys. It was really interesting. Uh, but you think about it, I'm like, I don't think of that as being very tough, but they, they came in as a force to be reckoned with and helped turn the tide of the war that was going on. But a united people can do a lot. And when we talk about today, I want to talk about the character and the power of Jesus' unity with the Father and our unity with the Father and with one another. Are you guys with me? Okay, John 17. My hope is to encourage all of us with God's plan to use unity to really reveal His love to the world. 
It's in John 17. Jesus is uh, just before, he's at the Last Supper. This is just before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is likely when he's eating with the guys and they're saying a prayer together. And this seems to be what John remembers from his, uh, you know, this is what he said. The Holy Spirit's inspiring John and helping him to recall all of what was said. But here is Jesus' words in verse 20. We're going to start in just verse 20. Read through 26. He says, My prayer is not for them alone. Not just the disciples who were already there. He's saying, I pray also for all who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. That the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. They know that you have sent me and I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So I've got three points for you today. All right. Point one is the example of unity. Point two is the power and purpose of unity. And point three is the practice of unity. All right. You guys with me? Okay, great. So, we look at this scripture and the example. How do, we, how do we go and be unified? I think the first place we've got to start is by the example of Jesus' unity with God. Right? In Philippians 2, it, the, the word tells us that Jesus is in very nature God. Though He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He said... We're, we're the same in, in, in the being of who we are, the spiritual being of who they are. They're one and the same, right? But in this passage in John 17, we do see that Jesus is acknowledging that. He's saying, Father, you and I, we, we are, we're one. We're, you're in me. I'm in you. We're, we're one. And I don't think he just meant like, hey, we are one family, right? It's, it's transcends that. They really were one in being in very nature. But I always think that's an interesting concept because Jesus was also a man in the flesh. Okay? And, and I've had to wrestle with that. Like, oh, well, Jesus was... Jesus was Jesus. That's how He did all the things He did. You know, it's like He, he struggled and fought sort of because He was Jesus. You're like, well, if I was God, then I wouldn't struggle with sin either. Do you know what I'm saying? You ever had that thought? Like, it seems a little like, oh, well, we make a big deal out of Jesus because he didn't sin, but he was also God. But he was in the flesh the same way we are in the flesh. And that, that's what was different. See, if, if we can understand this one concept right here, this is, is 
makes a big difference is that the flesh in itself, it's, it's amoral. It's not, it's not uh, evil right off the bat. You know, we're not born evil. We're not born totally, like, good. We're, we're more, like, neutral, like the flesh is. There's no sin inherently in the flesh. What it is, is it's prone to it. It desires it. And, and I often illustrate it in the sense of, you know, my, my grandfather had, he died of lung cancer. So he died when I was one year old. And I think he died at like right around 50. Okay, so very young. And I, one of the things that I know is he used to smoke. I think he, he had smoked since he was like 14 or 15 years old. Up until I think the day before he died, he smoked. Um, and I mean, but for me, one of the things I've known is, and, 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 history, and science tells us now, is that those who have had cancer or if there's cancer in your family, you're more prone to cancer. So I know that I'm more susceptible. You know what else I am? I'm also a redheaded white guy. So that means I'm more susceptible to skin cancer, too. So I tend to lather up in a lot of sunscreen. James tends to lather up in a lot of sunscreen, too. Um, but when I, I look at that, I go, my, my flesh is more prone to cancer than someone else's. But all of us, our flesh is all prone to sin. doesn't mean I'm guaranteed to get cancer. It just means I'm more prone to it. But in the same, but the thing is, is all of us, when exposed to sin, our flesh is susceptible to it. It desires it, and it easily succumbs to it until the point where everybody falls short. Does that make sense? So if Jesus has the same body, though, what transcended the difference, what made the difference, is he had to deal with every struggle, every aspect of impurity, probably every temptation to get drunk, every temptation to uh, be immoral and to have a fit of rage and just blow up. Every temptation of whether it be depression and anxiety and worry and concern. I mean, we saw that he stood, he didn't stand, he knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane and he he was sweating blood because he, his body was just rejecting the idea of what's coming. And it was a connection, his unity with the Father, though, that enabled him to overcome. So he lived and he, he was tempted in every way we are. So with Jesus, what he did, though, is he consistently went to the Father. And you even look at his life. At a young age, he's like 10 years old. His parents go to Jerusalem with uh, you know extended family. And they all show up in Jerusalem. And then they, they stake around for a little while. And Jesus was such a guy that even at a young age, he wanted to be with God. So his parents all leave Jerusalem to go back home. It's kind of a home alone story. He starts, they get about a day away. And they're going, where's Jesus? Do you know where Jesus is? Like, everybody's calling, Yeshua, Yeshua, you know, walking around. Have you seen him? No, I haven't seen him, I haven't seen him. Until they finally figure out he's not here. Now, if you lost your child somewhere, if, if, you know, and and I love most of you, if you had my child and you lost my child somewhere, you'd probably be pretty anxious. I would be freaking out. I mean, I've had, like, dreams where he's, like, walking through the woods by himself at a year and a half old. It's, like, a terrifying idea. But... Here it is, they've lost their son. 
And so they decide they're going to go back to the city and they scour the city and they're looking around and where they eventually end up going is they go back to the temple and there's Jesus sitting in the temple talking with all the rabbis. And his parents are like, why did you do this to us? And he goes, didn't you know you'd find me in my father's house? Where else was I going to be? This is where I want to be. I want to be with God. And he was that way from a young boy all the way till we jump farther forward to he's a man who we see his examples. If he got up regularly, regularly while it was still dark to go and get time with God, to pray and get time with the father. We look through the scriptures and if you read through it, you see that he was a guy that he just sought after God because he wanted that union. He knew it was a part of who he needed to be in that connection. Now, it was that spiritual connection that enabled him to overcome. That spiritual power that he got and shared with the Father. But here's the cool thing. We all go, well, Jesus had that. As disciples, you have that same power. You actually do. You have the Holy Spirit within you. If you've, if you've been baptized, you've been given the same Spirit that Jesus had. But the question is, is do we hold to that same Spirit? Do we, do we unite ourselves in the same way with the Spirit of God that Jesus fought to be united with the Spirit? When we talk about the, the struggles, the anxiety, the, the impurities, all of the challenges of anger and impatience, which anger and impatience has been like, sadly, a bad friend in my life more recently. I just feel like I've been struggling with it. But you know what I also realize is that that means I've got to be fighting to be more unified with God more than ever. But that's what Jesus did. Every time you see Jesus, before he feeds the 5,000, he went up, got time with God. Then he went, got time with God. Again, after that, then he walked on water. Do you look at most of the big things, the big events of Jesus' life? He had great time with God before and after. To overcome a lot of the challenges. This is just Jesus' example. You know, and so I look at this and I think about how the spiritual fatigue that comes, even for Jesus, often came because of the flesh. And he overcame that fatigue on multiple occasions through the power of the Spirit of God. And we do know that he slept. Jesus did sleep and he did eat, so we should all do those things. It's not like we can just pray all the time and just never eat or sleep or drink. Uh, because we still live in the flesh, but we share the same spirit. Right? As God. And so when we, we look at this, I think consider that your fatigue of living in the flesh is going to, the flesh is going to drain you. The spirit is going to strengthen you to overcome the challenges that will be in your life. And so, Jesus still had to fight this battle against the flesh, he had to fight for unity with God. He showed us that it takes deliberate effort. His example showed deliberate effort had to go into it. Getting up early in the morning. You know, some of us, some of us have a really hard time. I'm just, just, it's hard to get up. It's actually easier to get up in the middle of winter when it's still dark because the sun comes up at like 9 o'clock. I'm just saying, it's still dark. So you're like, I got up at 8. I beat the sun up. You're like... Tell me if you beat the sun up in like J- July. 
rather than January. But we look at this idea of he made the effort to get up and get with God. We're going to have to fight for that too. You know, he came to break the barrier first, to be the first guy, to the first person to really live in the flesh and be united with the Spirit and then allow the Spirit to be shared with us. And so all of us getting that same opportunity, we, we can fight for it. But it takes deliberate effort. You know, but all of this, in, in God giving this Spirit to us, one of the things that He did when He broke the barrier of, you know, it's, you ever like, study athletes where somebody like, they're like, this can never happen! And then somebody ends up doing it. And then, you know, shortly after, it's almost like three or four other people end up doing it. You get what I mean? I mean, right now, they're like trying to break the two-hour marathon. Is that what it is? It's like, they're so close. They're like within minutes. And then they, they have this mathematical equation of what, what somebody's going to do and how they're going to break it. And they're like within minutes of running 26.2 miles as a human being. They're, they're so close to getting there. But nobody's done it yet. But they're breaking the barrier little by little. And each time, people are getting closer and closer. But I look at all of this, and by Jesus breaking the barrier, He brought power into our own lives. He, he enabled us to have a greater power. And so what I want to talk about now in point two is the power and purpose of unity. And these will go a little bit faster. But point two, the power and purpose of unity. Check out verse 21 really quick. Verse 21 says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them. Now the power of it, we look at the power, the power of the Spirit of God is to overcome sin. But the power to be unified with God is is what gives us that. But what is the purpose? Like unity's for unity's sake is not really worth a whole lot. But the purpose of it the purpose of unity, and if we think about it, is to, and it says, Jesus says so here in verse 23, to show the world how much he loves us. Do you ever think about the idea that, hey, we're, we're called as disciples, like to be the city on the hill? We're, we're called to extend and show the love of God? We, we all get that. But one of the things Jesus specifically prays, he says, guys, he's like, God, help them be one because it's through their oneness that people are going to know how much you love them. The idea of people being Christians alone, it's not how God intended it to be. Right? A city on a hill, a person of one is, that's not a city. Right? When we think about it, what does it mean 
to be the unified people of God. It means the people who show the world the love of Jesus. When people walk into our congregation, do they feel the kingdom, the power of the kingdom of God, the love that we have amongst each other? You know, the fact that we weren't together in three weeks, I missed you guys. Right? I miss seeing your faces. When you're not here, maybe we get together often and some of us who aren't here sometimes, we miss each other. And those who aren't here right now, I mean, we know who they are. Most of us know who's missing. We miss them. I miss them. But when we're together and people get to see our love, the way we love each other, it's powerful. It's moving. It's inspiring. That's why when I came to church, I... When I came to church and I stuck around for like 45 minutes for one of the first couple times and like 80% of the church was still there, I'm like, who are these people? Like, what is going on? Because my church was cleared out. The one I grew up in was cleared out in like 10 minutes. And you had maybe, maybe a handful of people that like stood outside the door of the church. And the church was just empty. And everybody else is gone. There's, a, there's power in the love and unity. And it's the purpose of, I really believe, the purpose of unity, a major part of it between us, is to show that and extend the love of God to people. And together, we are powerful. Right? You think of what people have accomplished. The power of unity. The universe speaks to the power of unity. Right? I mean, the uni- like, like physics speaks to the power of unity. The concept of synergy, right, where, where two forces work, are, are, are not just, you know, a guy carrying 150 pounds and another guy carrying 150 pounds. You put that hundred, the two together, the 300, those guys just pick that up and carry it around. Much easier than both of them struggling with the 150. They can do so much more together. Right? You look at these concepts of, of strength. When we come together, we're even stronger. We have more strength together than we are independently set apart. But this synergy, this power of unity, it's everywhere. And it's not just in physics, it's in sports. It's in business, it's in politics, it's in ecosystems, it's in economics, it's in the media. You know, it's in agriculture. It's everywhere. Is it in the church? Are we working together to bring the power of God forward, right? It's a fact of life that two or more things functioning together can produce a result that is not independently obtainable. And it has powerful results used in godly ways and in ungodly ways. Right? Funny way I think, I love the movie Ocean's Eleven. Have you ever seen Ocean Eleven, right? If you haven't seen it, it's awesome. You should watch it. But these guys, I mean, you know, the, the bad guys that you're rooting for, 11 guys pull off this big heist that was supposed to be impossible, and then there's Ocean's 12 and Ocean's 13, and they do it again and again. But the idea is that they work together, and they bring all of their skills. No one of them could have done the job. It took every one of them to do it, Right? You know, another movie that I love, that I think is so cool, movie 300, you hear the story, you know, or even if you've never seen it, it's the story of the 300 Spartans who stood up to the Persian army of like a million. And they they fought 
to the last man, but they killed way more. Like a huge multitude more than they lost. You think about bad happening. People can do crazy things when they work together. On 9-11, a couple handfuls of people did some terrible things because they were unified in what they wanted to do. And we all know the results of it. If unity is so powerful that it can create evil, what happens when unity is used for God in His church? When, when Jesus and the apostles came together, they did this handful of people Change the world. What happens when we, the people of God, who have the Spirit of God, can walk and use the power of God in the world to work for the purpose to help the people know the love of God? I was telling somebody this last week, the problem of pain. Why does God let suffering happen in the world? I believe He's already answered the problem of suffering. It's in this room. We are the answer. When we work together and we love people, we show compassion, we bring mercy, we bring relief to the suffering and pain in the world. We show the love of God. That's the power and purpose. So I think we've got to put it into practice. And so how do we practice unity? You know, the practice of unity is difficult. It's point three, practice of unity. It's difficult because it's contrary to our flesh. Galatians 5.19, it says the acts of the flesh are obvious, right? And a few of those it names are envy, discord, jealousy, factions, dissensions, right? Ephesians 4 verse 3 gives you another list of divisive things that destroy unity. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling. You know, our flesh tends to default into selfishness and disunity. I mean, wouldn't you guys agree with me? It's pretty, it's, it, it happens. So it takes effort to maintain it. It takes effort to maintain it both with God and with one another, because all those things I named are things that we do, not just with each other, but we do with our relationship with God too, don't we? Um, so how do we put it into practice? I think we've got to go back to point one. You've got to look at the example of Jesus. Right? We start with getting a great time with God every single day. You've got to get united with God in prayer and study of His Scriptures. It's got to center ourselves in the right place. Follow Jesus' example. You know, if you've got to get up early in the morning while it's still dark, amen. But if you have got to set aside your lunch hour to go, I'm going to, I'm going to leave my work stuff onto the side and I'm going to have a great quiet time at this time or I'm going to set aside this... This holy time, that this is my time with God. If you got to do that, that's what we have to do. But get that time with God every single day. You know, we look at Jesus' example. We take a great stance of humility. In very nature, God, He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Humility in the sense that He was willing to sacrifice His own body, His own life, to be united with you. Jesus was willing to sacrifice to be united. I've got to make sacrifices of my own wants if I want to be united with my wife. I do. It's, it's, you know, if I want to go watch my own thing on Netflix, 
or I want to like go play a game or I want to go hang out with the brothers. Like Ryan's asking me to come and play Halo. He's like, hey, you want to come play Halo with me? I'm like, yes. He goes, can you come and play Halo with me? I was like, I don't know. (laughs) Because I want to make sure that, you know what? I've got to fight to be unified with my wife. And sometimes I've got to sacrifice the things I want to do for the things I want to do. And I've got to make the decision. I want to be united. I, I also have to sacrifice my own desire to feel right about things sometimes for the sake of unity. Because sometimes we're going to hurt each other. And I mean we, like all of us. We're going to hurt each other. And to be united, we've got to fight for that. Right? We've got to work to get over things and to forgive each other. Which is why I say the next practical aspect of unity is we've got to deal with conflict quickly. Like, quickly. If you're letting an issue settle in your heart and develop bitterness and some sort of strife between you and somebody else in the kingdom of God, you and some other disciple here in our fellowship, we've got to get rid of that quickly. And that's, that's here. Same thing with God. You've got to resolve your problems with God quickly if you want to experience the power of God. Right? What's awesome is if you take this into the world and you start doing this at your workplace, you're going to get more unified with your coworkers too. You're going to be more productive in the world as well. But I think, let's start, make sure we're working here in the church. Amen? That we're not letting things settle in our heart. And maybe somebody hurt you and they don't even know they've hurt you. Maybe I've hurt you. Let me just put it out there. Maybe I have hurt you in some way. Please talk to me. I may not even know that I've hurt you and I'm sorry already. My intention is not to offend. It's, it's not to hurt anybody. But it happens sometimes. And I would ask that you talk to me. But maybe somebody else has done it. You've got to talk to them. Because here's the thing. If you can't love me, if we can't love each other, how are other people going to see the love of God? Bring it back to our purpose. That if we're in discord, they're not going to see the love of God and it's going to be harder for them to feel the love of God. So let's make sure that we're fighting for it and resolving it quickly. You know, we must get unified in purpose just as Jesus was with the Father. To let the world know that God's love for humanity and desire for all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, that's God's purpose. We could say, yay, I love you, and, and but if we have no purpose, the flag, when he said we, we are indivisible, we have for liberty and justice for all. If you claimed those tenets, true, we would fight with such a fervor for them if it wasn't just lip service to something we've said a hundred times. Right. Let's not just give lip service to something we've said a hundred times of saying we want the world to know the truth about Jesus' love. Let's be a church united about letting the world know how much we we love each other, we love God, and how much God loves them. Amen? Because that's the power, that's the purpose of unity. That's how we can put it into practice. Resolve conflict. Get time with God. Get times of prayer. Don't hang on to stuff. So in conclusion, I'd say unity, it's an incredibly powerful endeavor. Unity in the kingdom has and will show the world the love of God. It has for centuries. It has for millennia. Let's continue to do that. You know, when 
unified as individuals and as a whole, we are living in a way that God has intended for us to live. We're going to see God glorified in greater and greater ways than we ever could by ourselves. So let's look for the example of Jesus. Let's embrace the power and purpose of unity and let's put it into practice together. Amen? Amen. Amen.